Welcome to the Love and Context Podcast, an unscripted conversation with Ben and Spencer. We're so glad that you could join us today, whether that's from your car, office, home, church, or wherever you're at. If you want to contact us, you can email us at loveincontext at gmail.com. Also follow us on Instagram at loveincontext. Welcome to the Love and Context Podcast with Ben and Spencer. I'm Ben and that guy over there is Spencer. You can't see me gesticulating, but he's over there. We have a special guest with us this week, a person we referenced a few times on the podcast in a good way because now he's getting a little nervous over there. But we have our, our pastor, Clint, on the podcast. Say hi, Clint. Hello. Yeah. So he is a little out of sorts because we definitely shanghaied him into coming. Well, to be fair, Ben's advertisement of what we were doing was a little misleading to Clint. But, you know, we're here. We're going to have a great time. Hey, listen, I'm responsible for the sale, not for the remorse after the sale. <laughs> so, yeah, we're glad you're here. We have been high-stepping through Torah. And so last week we talked about the Red Sea. We talked about worship in the desert. We talked about this whole thing with quail and manna and all the things that God's kind of doing in those things. Uh, as you recall, Pastor Nick was on that podcast. But this week we're going to be in Exodus chapter 18. If you haven't read your Bible, confused on how you got to this podcast. But if you haven't read this section in a while, pause the podcast, go to Exodus chapter 18, read it, and then come back because we're going to have a conversation revolving around Exodus 18. And to be fair, today we are going to use this passage to springboard off into a topic that we think is really important. So just want a fair warning on that. Mm-hmm. All right, so Exodus 18, there's been a bunch of stuff happening. They've gone through, they've crossed through the Red Sea. There's uh, water from a rock. The Israelites have grumbled. All sorts of different things have happened. And then they come to this point where Jethro, his father-in-law, hears about the things that have been going on with Israel. And he said, he sends word. And by the way, I love this, by the way. Jethro says, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming you to you with your wife and your two sons. I just, I love that he has to clarify, I, Jethro. Like, how many Jethros do you think Moses knows? I don't know, but Moses knows quite a bit of people. Knows quite Is that grammatically correct? Yes. Yes. I also do did notice here that it says, because we're dealing with some cultural things here, that when Moses shows up and Jethro shows up, Moses goes and greets him with a kiss. Yeah. Now, I'm on good terms with my father-in-law, but Clint, I, when's the last time you greeted your father-in-law with a kiss? Usually a handshake. Usually, <laughs> usually handshake doesn't. <laughs> Obviously, we're dealing with a cultural thing in this in this instance. I'm with you on the handshake thing, though. That's that's usually all it takes on my end too. Coming into verse 14, uh, it says, "When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you morning till evening?'" Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Which, by the way, do you get some serious vibes from, like, creation story? Totally. Yeah, totally do. God's saying it's not good for man to be alone, right? What you are by yourself is not enough. You actually need partnership. You need community. Yeah, community is huge. And if you don't catch that throughout the Old Testament, God keeps coming back to that topic right there. 
of not doing things alone. You see that in Genesis and creation. You see that through Noah's story, even though Noah and his family were selected as the survivors of the flood, there was still a community aspect that goes with that. And you see that through Abraham's story, Abraham's story, all the way through Joseph and now into Exodus as well. Like it keeps going that theme. Mm -hmm. One of the things that has troubled me growing up in the church and ministry in general is that pastors have a tendency to burn out, right? You've seen that, right, Clint? Very much so. Yeah. It is, it is not good. It is not good. I think about when Paul talks, he says, hey, listen, some of you are going to be preachers, some of you are going to be teachers, some of you are going to be pastors, some of you are going to be evangelists. And they were like, hey, we'll hire a guy, pay him 60 grand a year, and he gets to do all of that, right? I think it's probably like the modern day setup. When we started looking at pastoral leadership as a job compared to a calling, Mm -hmm. that the expectation now is that we're going to give you know, this individual (laughs) X amount of dollars. And in doing so, we want them to do X amount of work, which is usually far and beyond just the pastoral component. It becomes the outreach. It becomes the evangelism. It becomes the discipleship. It becomes the church maintenance, uh, you know, organizing and leading the, you know, the deacons or the leadership boards. They end up becoming all those things because we've attached financial benefit and then, and then, you know, staff responsibilities with that. It's a very dangerous position to be in because we, we were talking, I think it was a couple of weeks ago about the whole idea behind pastoral and shepherding and all this. You're actually meant to equip the body for service, right? Like that, that novel concept. I, I mean, how many times in church ministry have you had people be like, well, the pastor needs to come and talk to my friend. And you're like, well, I'm pretty sure that God put it on your heart. You should probably talk to him. It's a topic that we, we go often, we, we discuss often. And a lot of it is this idea that the pastor is going to be the answer for all of these life situations and life interactions where, because we, we don't equip individuals to to do the calling that God's placed on their lives, they become a kind of an intercessor where they make contact with people, but for some reason they don't feel like they can they can handle it or do it alone. They want to bring it back to what I guess some people could just consider to be like the you know, the church leadership because they're gonna have the the right answer or they're gonna have the the means to be able to deal with this. Where, you know, for our perspective is that if God placed them in your life, he did He did it for a very specific reason because he believes and knows that you're capable of meeting that need. But we just have to be willing to step out in that. I feel like what you're saying is like the Holy Spirit in me is just as powerful as the one in you. Oh, it is by <laughs> yeah. far. Yes. <laughs> I've served in pastoral positions that Spencer has as well. Like somebody comes and they say, well, come and talk to this person. It's like, I don't know anything about them. I've got no relationship and like, you're like, oh, well, come talk to them about Jesus. I was like, I don't even know. Like, how does Jesus fit into their life? Who are they? Like, and, and on a broad level, sure, you can proclaim the gospel. Like, you can talk about how Jesus made an impact in your life. But I was thinking about that song, Good, Good Father, that Chris Tomlin wrote. Some people struggle with that song because they grew up in a household where father meant something completely different. Right? And if I don't know that coming into the conversation, I'm like, well, God is a good father, you know, who does good for his kids. And they're like, I don't know what that means. I have no idea. So how how do we expect the pastor to be able to come in and like 
step in that situation. But what you can do, and you've done for us for a number of times, is you have come and put a steady hand on something we're already doing and been like, let me offer a piece of guidance, a piece of direction that's going to help you shape this into something that's going to maybe be a little better for you. And for the record, he does that with Ben a lot more than me. So I just wanted to throw that out there. I am the problem child. So I am the Jacob, but I also get things done. So you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) There's an echo over to Acts chapter six, where the disciples were brought a dispute saying, they're like, hey, there's unfair food distributions amongst the Gentiles and Jewish believers. And a disciple said, all right, we need to not be distracted by this, but what we're going to do is we're going to appoint people mm-hmm. to take care of this. They're, but they're like, our focus needs to be proclaiming the gospel. Mm-hmm. When I read that story, I can't help but wonder if the disciples are thinking of Jethro and Moses in this moment where right, where Jethro's like, yo, Moses, this is way too much. You can't do it all. You need people around you. Right. Well, I, I think there's probably going to be a connection also with Numbers 11 when God says, I'm going to take a piece of the spirit that's on you and I'm going to put it on the 72. These are sim- similar ideas. Is it's too much for one person to do. Yeah. When God's kingdom is going to go forward, we have to learn how to delegate and more specifically trust the spirit of God and the other people too. Mm-hmm. Right. How scary is it? If you're the only one in faith that you trust. Right. Well, it's not just scary. It's a problem. Yeah, I was thinking about, so we, we sang this at the Inspiration, that song where it says, I've decided to follow Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. The other uh, verse to that is, if none go with me, still I will follow, which sounds really good, but I got news for you. If you're the only one going, you might not be <laughs> heading toward Jesus. Like that might be a problem because I guarantee you there's somebody else who's supposed to go that way too, right? Yeah, when you're heading towards Jesus, you're supposed to be bringing others along with you. When we're following after Jesus, we're supposed to be finding people around us and bringing them along with us. Like whether they currently follow Jesus or or don't follow Jesus, like we're supposed, the people that God has entrusted in our sphere of influence, we're supposed to be coming alongside them and bringing Christ to them on a daily basis. So if you're striving to follow after Jesus, other people should be coming along with you at some point, right? It shouldn't just be you doing it alone. Yeah. Well, I think it's the... um... I think it's the basis of between like trusting, trusting what God has in store for you and trusting you. Like it's easy to trust ourselves. So in, in the ministry that we're doing, but to trust that God has a bigger plan that, that involves you as a piece of it, but only as a piece of it, you're not the, you're not the whole puzzle. Um, And when we, when we can step out in that fear to be like, Hey God, like, I've just got to trust that I'm going to release the responsibility that for whatever reason I feel that I need to control and hold on to, and I'm going to give it out to the body mm. and allow for the body to to take this and move forward with it. I think it's I think that's the really difficult part of letting go. Mm. And I think you get wise wise men and women like Jethro who come and you know, they can be just a word of wisdom for somebody who is just stuck in the midst of trying to do everything mm-hmm. because they want it to be done well. They want it to be done right. They want to honor God in the process. But in doing so, you know, we're we're taking these really special opportunities that someone else could could take and build off of, and we're we're holding on to them. Mm-hmm. 
I've always viewed it like inviting someone to coffee. If you invite a couple people to coffee and then you throw all of your crap all over the seats at the table you're sitting at and be like, oh, well, you're welcome, but you can stand. Like, how long are they going to stick around? Or you're like, you're welcome to sit here, but I'm drinking all the coffee. Yeah. Right. Right. That's right. <laughs> how long are they going to stick around? Like, I mean, if you're drinking all the coffee, well, I'm not going to stick around long. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Exactly. I've always viewed it that way of like, if you're inviting people in to be a part of a team and ministry, like, there's got to be a seat at the table for them. There's got to be a cup of coffee for them to drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think it's just a lot of it is, you know, personalities, right? Of, you know, like I've been placed in this leadership position. So my responsibility is to lead, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But our different perspectives and experiences in life is, you know, I, I got the opportunity in a lot of different scenarios to see where pastoral leadership has struggled mm-hmm. and the hardships of that and what happens when you take on too much. And when we talk about longevity of ministry, I remember sitting down with someone and they were going over like, you know, the last like 50 years of our church and how each pastoral group was there for like anywhere from four years, I think up to a max of like nine years, but like five years, four or five years was kind of the that that point where you know pastors kind of hang around before they kind of move on somewhere else and it just makes you really wonder you know i always hear this concept like god's calling me somewhere else but i always feel like i don't feel like god calls me and like yo-yos me all over the place Mm -hmm. like he calls me here for a couple years and he calls me there for a couple years like i know god moves us and he transitions us but in pastoral leadership to me, if you're called to pastoral leadership, you know, oftentimes we're placed in a place for a reason and it takes time. It takes time to build the church and it doesn't happen overnight. And, and when you talk about four or five years, that's a, I mean, that's just a couple pa- turns of the page. I mean, it happens so fast and a, very little gets done in those times. But now we're talking about, you know, 10 years and then we're, you know, 15 years and right. 20 years. I mean, right. that's the that's the really building foundations and stuff. It takes time. Well, and I, I think it's interesting because I've heard that in a statement where people say, well, God called me elsewhere, right? Just my opinion, and I think I've got some biblical basis for it, is that God's not going to call you in isolation. Mm-hmm. How many times, okay, well, Spencer, you do youth ministry, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. How many times does a kid say, God is calling me to marry this girl? She's going to be my wife, Right. When they're like 14 and a half, they haven't even figured out how to drive yet or practice proper hygiene in a lot of cases. So I've worked in youth ministry for 15 years now. I've seen one instance where that's worked out. <laughs> one. Majority of the time it has not worked out at all. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there are, but there are times where students are like, oh, well, this is the one and the Lord's told me I'm going to marry her. Right. And I'm like, hmm, Interesting. I really think you're just manifesting something for yourself mm-hmm. and right. hoping it comes true. And we do that all too often in ministry as well. Yeah. It's not just not just relationship things. Like, you know, you're upset with your job and, oh, God is calling me to somewhere that I got to be around other believers. I was like, what makes you think God wants you to be around other believers? He wants you to be salt and light in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, he wants you to go and actually talk to people who need the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Right. That's where you're supposed to be. You're like, oh, it's just not light in here. I, I got news for you. You're the light of the world. Turn it on. Mm-hmm. Right? I think that's the that's one of the pieces there is is to understand that, you know, 
ministry at times, especially in pastoral leadership, is not always about the the big fireworks and stuff. There's moments and years of of struggle sometimes, and there's times of little growth, and then there's there's times where you see these these really like where God really starts to begin, you know, to show Himself, and you see growth, mm-hmm. and you see these amazing moments where people get on fire for God, and you know they they just where God starts to really do all this work, and then all of a sudden you're in a lull again, like you're in these valleys, you know, and. I think for a lot of people, they get in these valleys and they last a little too long for them. Mm-hmm. And they start looking over the fence and being like, well, maybe I can be used in a greater purpose somewhere right. else, right? Where sometimes God just wants us to keep pressing forward. And I'm not saying that's always always the answer, but I think sometimes it's easy to just cut and run sometimes to go a different direction. If if we don't feel like we're having this, the huge impact maybe that we want or the huge leadership you know, growth that we want, yeah, so with that with that idea, actually Psalm 1, uh, which you're familiar with, is blesses the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Well, so if you know anything about herbiculture, yeah, I said it, and Israel, then there is a tree that yields fruit in its season and deals with like both good years and bad years. It's called a tamarisk tree and it's by the streams of the water, uh, these wadis where the flood waters will come through mm-hmm. and the tree will suck up moisture, but it may only get water once every three or four years. But when the water hits, it just produces fruit, mm-hmm. right? And it's, it's always in the position, even though it might look dead, it's always in the position ready to absorb anything that comes its way and produce fruit. And I think a lot of the times we're sitting there as tamarisk trees and we're like, oh man, it's dead, it's dead, it's dead. And the wave is coming, right? And like we we bail and we go to where the tamarisk tree is producing fruit, not realizing that we're actually supposed to be planted firmly by this water waiting on what God is doing. And I, I don't know that's always the case, but I, I think that when we're just getting unsettled in our mm-hmm. walk, that's a lot of it. Yeah, and I think it's been... <clears throat> Again, so much of it comes down to trust, right? So, I've I have to trust God in these these moments, you know, where I don't feel like there's a lot of this spirit moving taking place, but there's but there's these like underground flowing water that's taking place where people are, you know, individual people are growing, but maybe you're not seeing growth as far as like growth in numbers of church, but you're seeing growth in individual people and. And also, you know, church is also a place where, you know, oftentimes we, we have to hit a certain degree of healing, mm-hmm. you know, that needs to take place and healing takes time and it doesn't happen overnight. And so, you know, it was, it was one of those interesting perspectives, you know, when Pastor Nick and I, when we stepped into, you know, our positions in like co-pastorialship and, and stepping into the church was, this is our home, right? This is our home. This is our church. And I stepped into it being like, I may not be the most qualified (laughs) pastor here and I may not be the very best fit, but what I can do is I can offer the church consistency Mm -hmm. and I can offer the church like my talents and the, the best that I can offer to it. And I can give it some time to heal, you know, and I can give it them some time to grow. And I think 
that was kind of the stepping in of like co-pastorialship was like, I also had to trust Nick in the process as well. Right. Could you explain what you mean by co-pastoral? So co-pastorialship. So a lot of times a church will be founded where you have one, one leadership pastor, right? One senior pastor, he is like the tip of the, the pyramid there. Like he's the one in charge. Everything else will flow down from that. They're also the ones who usually take the brunt of all of the responsibilities of the church. So in co-pastorialship, and it was the reason why we, we really looked at it, co-pastorialship is about sharing the ministry responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And so I take the process of the lead pastor because we believe in everything. There has to be someone who like has to make a decision in some like day-to-day functions of right. the church and stuff like that. But in ministry concerns, the co-pastorialship is about sharing the vision, sharing the responsibilities, sharing the direction of the church, where everything that flows through that's ministry-wise, we take an opportunity to to both inevitably have say, have responsibility in it. And then we go the one step further is the co-pastorialship we extend to you know our youth pastor we extend to our our leadership team because i believe that the the church organization was never set to be put upon the shoulders of one person it was right. to be set upon the shoulders of the believers because the church is not the pastor the church is the body and the head of that church can only be jesus right so on a broader level the church in our city isn't just our church. Mm-hmm. It's all the churches together as we work together. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So did you, when you came, when you guys explored, when you did the co-pastoral model, did you model that after somebody who else did that, like another church or organization? Yeah. So I think the, the basis of what we were, what we were looking at was I was bivocational at the time and felt that that was going to be the best situation for the church uh, was not to try to sustain you know, like a salary for one person. I thought that if we stayed by vocational, that what we'd be able to do is we'd be able to take the resources and not just front load them on a, on a person, but we could keep those resources for the church and for our missionaries and, and for the community. And so I started looking around and I, I knew of co-pastoralship in general, right? Cause like I look at the model of the early church and mm-hmm. I look at you know, we have Peter who was like, you know, like who is considered to be like the head of the church, but they had this council, you know, that would meet and they would talk. And it wasn't just like, you know, apostle Peter's rule on everything, right? It wasn't his decision on everything. It was, it was a conversation. It was a prayer. It was coming to God. And, and, and I, I found it was just dangerous to try to do things alone. Right. And so I started looking up just co-pastoralship, how it works, like ways it works, how successful it is. And when I did that, like just my research with it, I just, I started looking at it and I just says like, this looks like the church. Like as I read in scripture in the New Testament, the book of Acts is like, Mm -hmm. this looks like the church. Right. And I was like, this is the church that I want because Mm -hmm. I'm very, I was very aware at that time what it was to over to try to take on too much responsibility. Right. You know, I had those conversations from my wife, you know, having, you know, young kids in one season of my life. I think I was so busy with pastoral work that 
I think within a one month period, I had three different people that were like, you know, important people to me that knew me really well, that came and talked to me. It was just like, you know, Clint, you're doing too much. You have a responsibility at home as well. You can't, you, you cannot be out of balance with that. Yeah. And so Jethro moments. Yes. Yeah. 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 So I definitely had the Jethro speaking to me. Yeah. And so that's what we did is we just said, Hey, this is what I can do. And I want, I want everyone to come along with me. I want to walk in this ministry side by side. I don't want you just to follow me. And so that was, that was kind of a pivotal point for us. And it was a model that not everybody like feels super comfortable with just because I think of more tradition of, of how church kind of looks like, yeah. you know, in kind of the modern U.S. Being bivocational, have you found that you have been able to reach the community better than just being full-time as pastor? Yeah, I think that one's, it's an interesting caveat because, you know, you can think of it as a double-edged sword, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes when you are the, like your only job is pastor, everybody sees you as pastor, mm-hmm. right? But when you're bivocational, they see you in a lot of different lights, which gives you different opportunities, right? But sometimes I don't know if you're always taken as serious as like you're like being like a full-time in full-time ministry, like maybe like not as committed or not as available or, you know, so like sometimes I'm, you know, because I wear multiple hats in the community, people know me from different pieces, but then sometimes they just, they'll know me as like, as this happened, then they'll be like, oh, but you know, oh, I heard you're also a pastor, you know? And so it's like a side caveat to it as well, which I find is kind of, is kind of entertaining because, you know, cause I am flipping hats within the community and, uh, and I think it surprises people at times. Last weekend I was at the coffee shop and it was really strange. I waited for my coffee and I just hear an overhear conversation, like two tables down. They're like, oh yeah, do you know that teacher Clint, you know? And they're like, also, you know, he's a pastor in town. And I'm like, this is a very strange conversation for me to just be like, it was all good things, but like, it was a very strange conversation for me to just kind of like be eavesdropping. I was like, well, I know, I know Clint. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to go in that conversation, but it was, it was just very interesting. Not everybody can be bivocational. Yeah. Like it's, it's not super easy because you got to be able to do both of those things, especially in the new Testament where you see like Paul going through and working and making tents and doing all sorts of stuff while he's going about and chatting with people and going to the synagogue and preaching, there's a lot of benefit in that as well. And I don't know the one's better than the other. It's just kind of like, who has God made you to be? Right. Yet I think that's where a lot of it comes place, right? It's like where God lands you. And so, you know, it wasn't, I pursued co- like bivocational ministry. You know, I, you weren't like, man, I hope the church doesn't pay me very well so that I have to have another job. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, you know, like I really like being really, really busy and, and doing, you know, being responsible for multiple things, Mm -hmm. you know, while we're all having a family, (laughs) you know, I, I mean, I walked into it just, I mean, years of being prayerful, being God, like, I really hope I really like my, my heart's desire is to just step into full-time ministry. That's what I just love to do. I Mm -hmm. just love to connect with people and be, that's my focus. Because it was my focus and it is my focus. Like people are my focus, you know, relationships are my focus and, and teachings, my focus. And so, so God just never opened that opportunity. And so, you know, when the opportunity came to, to step into this leadership position, I just felt that where I was and what I was doing was the perfect fit. Yeah. And then when we looked at the resources 
at the time, we stepped in and anytime you have a change in leadership, you also have moments, you know, seasons of rebuilding. Mm-hmm. And so we just took that in stride. And I think that was something that was really powerful because our youth pastor at the time, he stepped out of taking a full salary and stepped into bivocational too. Like it was just, it just seemed like the right thing to do. And I just felt like we had, we had everybody on board with mm-hmm. let's take care of the responsibilities that we've committed to as a ministry. And they, and I think that what helped with it so much is that we didn't just step into it. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't just like the first ministry we stepped into at the church while we took that on with their other stuff. Like we were already involved. And so mm-hmm. like our investment was already there. It was already our ministry and our family. And so rolling it over was, we just felt it was the best thing and we felt we could provide we could provide an opportunity to address some of those priorities. We wanted to make sure that every everyone that we've committed to, both in the community and around the state and, and world missions, they we were taking care of them. And so it was really about putting those responsibilities first and foremost and knowing God was going to take care of us on those backsides. I was just curious on the bivocational part. So Clint, the question, have you found that that bivocational part has better allowed you to minister to your family? That's a, probably an interesting one. I think, you know what, I, I think whether you're bivocational, full-time ministry, I, I think ministering to your family is about priorities mm-hmm. and, uh, and we've made family a priority. And I think it was coming out of that season of having missed priorities that I just had to look and just say, as much as I want to have my life revolve around serving God in every capacity, that the 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 thing that God has placed in front of me that I know without a doubt is my responsibility, mm-hmm. is my, my wife, it is my children. And so my priorities are first and foremost them. And I, I think having that that set for me and my family years ago, it wouldn't it wouldn't matter whether I was full-time ministry or bivocational. And I think, I think on the flip side, it can be equally the same. I mean, you can be at not doing bivocational, you could be full-time ministry and family could still not be a priority. Like right. we have to be intentional about those relationships. And I think it's easy to overburden yourself, especially if you're trying to take on all of the responsibilities, all of the load we've got to set, we got to set, you know, I can only do so much. Correct. Well, and you said earlier, it's not good to do it alone. No. Right? It's not good to do it alone. And, you know, growing up in a in a pastoral family, one of the things that I saw, because we, we tended to know a lot of pastors, mm-hmm. is that a lot of people in ministry tend to offer their family up on the altar of sacrifice. Yeah. And that's not cool. No, I don't think it's, I mean, you know, we we go on stride with everything, right. you know, because I think we we try to honor God in our re- relationship and our responsibilities. And I think somewhere in the back of our minds, in those instances, we feel like our family will understand, mm-hmm. right? Our family will understand the sacrifices that's being made in order for me to do the ministry and carry it out the way that I feel that it needs to happen. But I also realize that when we choose, when we've made that choice to be committed to our our wife or be committed to our husband, when we've made that choice, decision to have children, we've made a commitment to them right? and to release that commitment so loosely to, to pursue ministry. I feel like we've lost a little bit of our way because our family is our greatest ministry. 
Well, First Timothy three talks about that mm-hmm. very thing where uh, when Paul's writing Timothy, he's like, yeah, and if leaders can't take care of their families, then how are they going to take care of the church? So coming back to Exodus, uh, it is actually interesting to note that Jethro is bringing his wife and sons back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like they're not with him mm-hmm. and he's too busy. And Jethro's like, dude, this is not okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like this is not working. Yeah. And also like, let's just be honest. She has an awesome name, Zipporah. Like she should be there. Like Moses and Zipporah. That's a great mm-hmm. couple name. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. When you're involved in ministry though, it's important to look at those ministry organizations and see how they value True. What their what their perspective is on valuing family. So like the denomination that I'm ordained in, like one of the questions they ask every year is how many nights a week do you have devoted to ministry? And the reason they ask that is because if your number is too high and they're like, okay, now you're taking away from family time and that's mm-hmm. not okay. And we need to figure out how to address that. Yeah. Right. And then that's, and that's a good, healthy thing to have yeah. in place. Like it's okay to, it's okay as ministry leaders to have evenings where you have other people taking on the load. Right. Right. You don't need to be at everything. Well, and there's, and there's seasons, like there may be a season where you have to take on a load, but it needs to be agreed upon with your family too. Like, well, this kind of comes back to the whole idea when we we were talking early in Genesis is that man and women together, we represent the image of God as like, your wife is not your servant. Your wife is your partner. She is your etzer connecto. She's the force that opposes she is, she is meant to support you. And I was like, how many times am I seeing in ministry? A pastor is like, well, I'm going to go this way. And my wife is going to follow because I'm the head of the house. So I was like, first of all, that's not how Jesus leads us. So that's definitely not how you should lead your wife. I have a pastor friend. He was in an interview process. And so in the interview process, he, he had his wife there and they were asking his wife questions. So they asked her like, oh, do you play piano? And she's like, yes, I do. And no, I won't. <laughs> like that was her answer to it. <laughs> and she was like, she's like, my family's going to be my main priority. And, yeah. and that was her whole point to it. It was like, my family's going to be my main priority. But her way of saying that was like, yes, I play piano. And no, I won't. So when we talk about, like I said, co-pastoralship, full-time ministry, family, stuff like that. Like, again, like we have to be able to have like a realized understanding of what we can do. And so it's like, it's not, not like, you know, if we say, hey, I'm not going to do everything, people can be like, well, you're not trusting God. Are you not stepping out in faith like that he's going to carry you through? It's like, yeah, but I'm also like God gives me the ability to 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 think and make decisions and and to look at the people around me and to see the the impact that it has. I think a lot of what, you know, what we're seeing here with Moses and, you know, how Jethro's like, you know, bringing his family in and then, you know, and then him looking around and seeing everything that Moses is doing and saying, this isn't too much, mm-hmm. right? If if we waited for Moses to look around and say that this is too much, it's too late. Yeah, he may have never got yeah. there. I mean, his family could have been, like kids could have been raised and wife could have been unhappy and gone and like before we ever realize. And so it's like, to me, when when you have people that you love and care about that come to you, and they start saying, they start giving you like this, just like this word of wisdom, right? Like just, it's like God's just speaking to you through them. To me, like the way that it happened in the three was like super important for me because it's like, I heard it from my wife. I heard it from her father. And then all of a sudden I heard it from my dad. Mm-hmm. And so for my dad to make a biblical response <laughs> about my responsibility to my family, it was like, it was huge. Yeah, And so I looked at that and I just said, balance, yeah. right? 
we're not going to bring the kingdom of God for everyone right now today. Right. It, it's going to be a process. And I'm a part of that. And so I looked at it and I just said, if we're going to lead the church, if we're going to be in this ministry, then we have to do this all together. The greatest impact that we're going to have as a ministry is if all of us, is like everybody there feels like they have a place, they have a place, they feel equipped, they have responsibilities, they have a say in the ministry, right? right? They have a voice in it. We've always said like, all you got to do is come up and say like, I want to serve and then we'll figure out where, right? Yeah. If God's speaking to you, like this is a ministry I want, this is a ministry I feel called to, so, okay, let's open, the, we'll yeah. support, we'll back you. What can we do? Right. Well, and that that connects really well. Like, I mean, like, because you're talking about, there has to be a rhythm because even in creation, there's six days of creation and a day of rest, mm-hmm. right? Like Sabbath is important. Knowing how to set things aside and trust that you are not valued for what you can produce, you're valued for who you belong to, mm-hmm. right? Because if we start to like place value on, oh, this person reaches this many people for Christ and he preaches this many sermons, creates this curriculum. I was like, hey, no, no, they're valuable because they're made in the image of God. Right. And they're going to work into that reality to the best of their ability. Yeah. And it comes down to works, right? It comes down to this process. Like if we make things based on how much, I, I mean, we look at with the production of fruit, right? Mm-hmm. But a lot of times when we look at scripture, it says that the, you know, the, the tree, it produces fruit. Mm-hmm. doesn't always say the quantity of fruit. It mm-hmm. just says the fruit's good. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, we just need to make sure we're producing good fruit. Right. And fruit that, that is going to nourish and it's going to, it's going to be something that is valuable. It, it's not saying like we need to have a whole huge field of mm-hmm. fruit. Right. And that we need to be the only ones producing all the fruit. And so, you know, yeah, I, we're, we're part of an orchard. We're not a tree all by ourselves. Yeah. 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 It's just like, we're, we're a part of that. And so I don't, I don't ever want to get carried away with this idea that, and I think that's like early on in my life, like when I, when I got really on fire for God, it's like, I wanted to just be nothing but fruit, right? I wanted fruit to just be flowing through everything that I touch until all of a sudden I started noticing that I wasn't, wasn't caring for what God was entrusting me with. Well, and the, the notion of plants producing fruit too, if there's only one type of fruit that was produced from all the plants, like it would be a pretty boring diet mm-hmm, to eat, mm-hmm. right? So, and there's different plants that produce different fruit and they come in all sort of sh- sorts of shapes, variety. Like I think of the house we lived in in Washington, there was this big old apple tree in the yard. So like we never had to go buy apples. We just went and picked apples and it, it produced tons of apples every summer contrast that with a couple strawberry plants mm-hmm. right like both apples and strawberries are good mm-hmm. but they're different plants they produce different types of fruit different quantity of fruit and that's not a bad thing like it's a good it's a good thing to recognize that but i had, I had another question for you if you don't mind sharing what are some of the practices as a ministry leader you put in your life to protect your time from being overcommitted? <laughs> So I love uh, how you laughed at that. That's yeah, it's a great one because I mean, you guys know I don't have a cell phone, and yes, so, I do. like you said, that that is done intentionally. And I mean, people are gonna look at it and be like, "It doesn't make sense." Like, and I'm I'm perfectly fine with that because I also get text messages from your wife. And I'm yeah. like, this is definitely not his wife. Nope, nope. This so, is definitely Clint. She yeah, would so never we, say this. 
So we still, like I still use in capacity because I know I still need to have like, I still need to communicate with, with people, especially our team. Like I still, right. I know that's still important, but for me, it's like, I think since the concept of having cell phones and then having them on you all the time, it's changed the dynamics of ministry in the sense that people could expect 100% access to the pastor at all times. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's dangerous. Oh, so dangerous. And so I need to, I need to be able to protect our time in a way that I don't get pulled away from my family in important times when it's our time together. So, you know, being bivocational puts me in a situation. It's like, okay, yes, I'm done with work, but no, I have not spent any time with my family. So, you know, I've spent most of the, I mean, the whole day working and now I need to turn some time over to them where, where if somebody who feels like, well, it's an emergency for me, I need pastor right now. I've just, I've looked over the last 10 years and most of the times that I get phone calls or reached out, it's not really an emergency. It's not really the fact that, you know, they need to talk to me now. It's just that they just have 100% access to me. Pastor, I have a really important question. I found a plate that doesn't match all the other ones in the kitchen, right? It could just, yeah, it could just be a lot of stuff and it's not, and it's not downplaying, you know, people's needs at all, but it's, it's just protecting my time, knowing that people can still get a hold of me. See, that's the thing. It's like they can email, no issues. I have a house phone that has a, that has a, a answer machine. Perfect. But what it allows for me to do is it allows for me to get back to people when I'm able to. Right. And so... You know, being bivocational, a lot of times I'll get phone calls in midday that could seem very important for someone that that I feel a responsibility because of my role to like to try to step out of what I'm doing, but I also have a responsibility to what I'm doing, and so it is. It's a really hard balance of you know of being available, but not jeopardizing other really important times that I have either working or with my family or. You know, I, I say even my time because my time is, is also valuable because mm-hmm. I need my time for my spiritual studies. I need my time for my spiritual practice. I need my time just for my time. Right. You, you know? can't pour from an empty cup. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we've got to stay, I, I keep always using this word balance, but it's my, my biggest pursuit is like the balance between bivocational, balance between family, balance between ministry, balance between my personal interests, you know, and not losing myself in the midst of everything else. So I want to get a, a little practical here. So one of the things, well, you, you haven't used the word, but you've been talking all around it is boundaries, mm-hmm. knowing how to establish clear boundaries for people. So when you are, as you're pastoring the church and let's just be honest, like church tends to attract drama sometimes. And so when people have like complaints, issues, like I've heard Nick talk about your guys' process, the boundary you set up to deal with those types of things, which I think is incredibly effective. And it's like, you talk about the process. Yeah. So like I said, you know, everything they we pick up, you know, I, I, this is not just a, this is not just a me thing, right? It wasn't something I just came up with. It was something that I had gleaned from a conversation with a pastoral friend of mine that I was just like, that's a genius. Yeah. It makes you feel better. We steal things from people all the time. Yeah. So you just go yeah. right ahead. So, so a lot of stuff, like I said, has been taken from, from other avenues. So, but has been tried to been able to put together for our ministry, right? So it's like pulling together all these different pieces and stuff that you feel like this could be a beneficial. But anyway, so one of the things that, that we get, that you can get in church is, is they call it, right? Church drama. And I feel like that's, 
something we've been really fortunate, you know, over the last 10 years is not, we haven't had a whole lot of church drama because from the very beginning, we set these parameters. We said, okay, so we understand that people are not going to always agree, right? They're not going to like shocking, like music. (laughs) They're not going to like all the speakers because, because we're bivocational, right? So I have I have a rotation of people who come up and preach and give the word. And that was very weird for people in the beginning. They, not a lot of people liked that. I won't say not a lot, but there was very, very, some very vocal people who did not think this was the greatest idea in the world. So, but anyways, so I went into it and I said, okay, guys, so we have, we have expectations, right? And these are our expectations. If you have something that you're upset about, if you have something that you're frustrated about. We're not our deacons. They're not sounding boards. I don't want us to use our leadership team or our other pastors as a sounding board because I feel like that sows disunity, Mm -hmm. right? If I go to someone and I just is like, well, I just want to, I just want to explain my, my frustration. And we do that constantly. We're constantly sowing this disunity in the ministry and in this body. And Mm -hmm. it can, you can start to get these little things of rot, right? And then that can cause problems. And so we said, if you have a issue, it's no problem because we want to hear about it, but we want it to be done in context. So we said, so first off is you have to stop and think about it, right? You have to say, what am I upset about and why am I upset? Then you need to come up with two ways to fix it, right? Which again, it allows for the to process. Why am I upset? What am I looking for that can fix this? And then the third thing is, if possible, you have to be a part of the solution. And so I had a situation one time where someone came up to me and they're after church and I'm, I'm not sharing anything private or anything. So, but it was like, they're like, pastor, I had something that I was really frustrated about, but I thought about what you have asked us to do. And what I realized was that I was the problem. (laughs) And I was like, Great. And that was the end of the conversation. Very often when I stop and think, I realize that that's probably the case. Yeah. And so, you know, so often the problems that, you know, that I want to complain about are often my problems. And it's just either because it's the way I like it to be done or the way I want it to be done or the way that it has been done. So we talk about a lot, you know, the last couple of months, you know, we've talked about how, how frustrating it is to have change, right? So if somebody sits in your seat at church, that mm-hmm. that bothers or parks in your parking spot. Like, Incidentally, ha- I just have to tell you a quick story here. Pastor Clint mentioned from the pulpit that he, you know, he's been sitting in that chair forever. And I saw the light click on in Spencer's face <laughs> the second that he saw that. And he's going to be gone for a couple of weeks. So when he came back, Spencer took up that whole row. Oh, yeah. And oh, I got and, called out from the pulpit. Yeah, he I did. Got, yeah, he, <laughs> well, I sat there looking, looking from the back and I looked at my wife and I'm like, Whose stuff is that? <laughs> I think the best part was is your kids walked in, they threw their stuff on that row, paid no attention yeah. that I had coats draped all over that row. Yeah. And then then your wife comes up and is like, wait, someone's sitting here? Like, what's going on? And, well, it's because it's a funny thing because like it's toward the back of the church. Like nobody sits there. Like, yeah. you know, is it's just been it's been one of those seats that we've sat in for twelve years. So um good. Yeah. So you just you find like this is our spot and uh, yeah it definitely can throw you off you know to have change right and i think that's the that's the piece of those you know yeah. 
we we put these things in place to to help us stay connected as we're coming in and landing this this idea of jethro coming and, and helping Moses understand that you need to learn how to balance this load you need to learn how to not take everything on yourself i want to like give a couple of takeaways that we can talk about here the first is and this big one that you said master plant was don't do this alone right like we're not supposed to do this alone like any of it we're made for community like we stop we established that in genesis one we're not made to do this by ourselves right I can still still take all the, the responsibilities on my shoulder and just expect people to come along with me. Right. But it's really about just trusting that that the spirit of God in this mission is through is working through all of us. Right. Right. And that every single one of us has something very special to offer this. Right. This this direction that God is bringing us. Right. And I think that's that like we need to come along one another in in the ministry. Yeah. And, you know, and just by chance, you know, where God has placed me, he's, he's put me in this, in this process of leadership. But the thing is, I don't always lead. Right. Sometimes I do a lot of following, you know, because we have other leaders Mm -hmm. in the church. And so to be a good leader, you know, we, we, we distinctly say you also have to be a good follower. Right. Right. And Jesus has shown us that, that example. Yeah, so good. One of the words you said in there, and you kind of danced around it, but partnership, mm-hmm. right? It's partnership is not, I'm going to tell you what to do and you go do it. Partnership is we're going to do this together, right? Yeah, and, and you may have a better way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and let's be honest. Like if you've ever had a partner, okay. So if you're listening to this and you're married, I guarantee you at some point your spouse has had a better way to do something than you did it. Like I guarantee you. My it's wife like is- every day of my Every day of my life. You're like, hey, I've got a really great idea. And you share it to them. They're like, why don't we just do it like this? And you're like, yeah, that's better. One of, one of my best examples of that is I was prepping for a sermon and I was telling Tara, I was like, oh, I got this thing here and this thing. She's like listening. She's like, oh, so it's basically this. And I'm like, yeah, that's better. Let's just say it that way. That's much better. So we just want to, we want to be really thankful that you were here partnering with us today on the podcast. And the other thing is that we also want to mention we talk about it on the podcast a lot. We talk about, because we talk about our experiences, we talk about the church, and we just want to talk about like how much we value you as a pastor specifically, that we recognize that there are a lot of people who are able to bring the gospel, preach, and you're equipping people very well for the ministry. And I believe that the fruit is showing all throughout our church and our community. So with that, thank you all for listening. You know where to find us. Yeah, that's kind of creepy, but yeah. Yeah, you know where to find us. So thank you all for listening. If you have questions, email us, loveincontext at gmail.com or shoot us a message on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and we hope that you got something out of it. If you have any questions, please contact us at loveincontext at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and message us through there. And Instagram is love and context. Again, loveandcontext at gmail.com or Instagram are the two ways to get a hold of us if you would like. Thank you once again. We really appreciate you being here. God bless. You got my water. Uh-huh. You're good. Oh, it's right there. Yeah. We're like, what did he forget? Literally all the way home, hold in. Well, the, do- the dogs told us you were coming back.
We heard <laughs> 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 like back and forth. Yeah, okay. we're good.